this is the Kingdom Real Estate Show. We're uh, going right now live, right? Yeah, we're, we're live, man. Um, did you really get, did you get kicked out of Catholic school to go back, to take it back? Did you get kicked out? Uh, Montessori school. So it's even harder to get kicked out. You know, I was like, <laughs> Montessori school is for like, you know, basically free range anyways. But I got kicked out as a kid of Montessori. And, uh, but then later on, I always had problems with authority. You know, I just, you know, just could never, in my mind, I was always right. You know, if you talk to like my grandma, she'd be like, yeah, she helped raise me, you know? She's like, yeah, you just always had in your head, like the administration was wrong, <laughs> you know? So like, they just, you know, I didn't know better, but I just wasn't cut out for school, you know, like any formal, normal school wasn't my thing, but you know, it's, you know, it can be people out there, maybe yourself, maybe other people that, you know, it, show, it gives them hope. Right. Cause like, you know, I ended up doing very well without any, like without giving any advantages at the testing and was able to take tests, do well, get through all the classes, eventually get to Harvard law school pass all the classes without going really without actually going to class and then uh, then take the bar exams, pass them and stuff. So you can, you just got to work in with, with, within your gifts. Fortunately yeah. for me, like, you know, business entrepreneurship is like, boom, like that. end, like, that's, it's like, that's the natural fit for me. That's one where I don't have to force myself to do it. <laughs> you know, school was like, like, you know, getting kicked out of Montessori. There you go. And I went to the seminary for a little bit too. We got Christians on here. They'll, they'll be able to sympathize with that because, you know, I come from like an Irish Catholic background where if you really want to make an impact, either you're, you know, becoming a teacher or do something like that. And I was like, you know what, man, I got to go all in this and that. Maybe I'll just be a Catholic priest, you know, which means like celibacy and like, it's tough, you know, and you have to have obedience. Right. So I went to the seminary and yeah, I mean, I got like within like six months there, like, dude, you stick out like a sore thumb. You don't <laughs> take directions. Like I was like, are you kidding me, dude? I am like trying so hard. I was like 17, but 18 or whatever it was, just got to high school. I was like, I've never tried so hard in my life to take directions from anybody. And they were like, really? You are not cut out for this. <laughs> so, so then I, you know, I ended up going to community college, working construction. And then I transferred to a small Catholic school, uh, Ivan Maria College. Then I transferred to Georgetown, finished there. I thought maybe I'd go into politics when I got there, but, you know, got to DC and realized no way. I'm not yeah. doing politics. It's too well, whatever. Let me let, let's go back a little bit, dude. Um, I want to ask you a question on. I read in your bio at some point. Yeah, you, it's funny you said you're a missionary priest. Clearly, you were not cut out for that. But I am really interested in. It seems like there was a point in time where you were really discerning. Hey, do I want to stay in ministry? You know, you thought maybe you would be a missionary in or you know full time ministry. By the way, a lot most of our community is our followers of Christ, people that that do love God and and are entrepreneurs, but you had a moment where you said, no, you know what? I'm going to go into business. I, I want to know, dude, just what, like, what was that discerning? Like what, what went on in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit? Like what did God speak to you? Why was that so clear that you write about it in your bio? Like this was a turning point for me. Can you take me back to that? Cause I think for a lot of people, you know, there's, they maybe never been given that permission to go out and be faithful follower of God and go crush it in business. So like, what was, what became clear to you? Yeah. So I would say that the, you know, so I think as a, as a person who's following Jesus, right. I think we all get down correct. The idea of serving people, right. Cause what you do to least my people that you do unto me and like all the other different things in the gospel, right. It's all about serving people. And the greatest amongst you is your servant, right? Christ says, you want to see a leader? I wash your feet. Boom. Like that's service, right? Serving people. And, and then, you know, so then we, we tend and us definitely Catholics, I'd say are more 
potentially more guilty of this, I'd say I'm, I'm Catholic, you know, than other Christian groups, because well, I don't know why the because is, but, it, but either way, whatever, certainly Irish Catholics are, cause that's how I was raised, but we don't think about <laughs> businesses in area you could serve people. And that's like, no, nah, that's just about money. And money is like bad, but actually money's not bad. Like, you know, it's not bad at all. Actually, mammon is bad and serving mammon is bad, right? Mammon, which includes money and material things and honors and prestige and everything else, right? Like if you, if you serve those things, you become a slave to those. But if you take those things and you say, okay, I'm gonna use this money. I'm gonna use this prestige. I'm gonna use these talents I've been given, whatever it might be, I'm gonna serve the people of God with it. Then it is a good thing, right? So that was something I had to work my way through and to understand. So really business was like my last option in a way. Cause like I had thought about a lot of things. I realized I was not a good teacher. I, I was a paid tutor at college. I was the worst man because like no one ever got any better. Like I would tutor them the whole year. And I was like, Holy crap, they haven't learned anything. It was like, <laughs> which is horrible. Cause I was, well, I was getting paid for this too. So I was like, this is kind of bad, but I was trying, you know, just that I, I was like doing the work for them or I don't even know what the hell was wrong with me, but it wasn't working. All my family was teachers. I come from a family of five and like, you know, everyone was a teacher, man. So my, my parents were like, yeah, you'd be a teacher, you know, or whatever. So I was like, nah, it's not going to work, you know? And plus I was not even good in classrooms. So I'm going to be like, this guy's, you know, running classrooms now it really make any sense. Um, so that, that wasn't going to work. I'd explored full missionary. That wasn't going to work. And then I was looking at, you know, public service through politics. I realized no way it's not going to work. I just, wasn't feeling it at yeah, all. You, dude, you, you, you definitely don't hold your tongue enough to be in politics, man. So like that no, was, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I've well, Hey, I mean, up. actually I take yeah. that back. Like, I feel like today is kind of like you, like you would have never made it 15 years ago, but maybe now you could actually make a run, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to. So, but, uh, <laughs> you know, let's like get, you know, God would literally, I got to have an apparition. Like that day I could have, yeah. God, Jesus have to appear to me and be like, you need yeah. to go. And I'd be like, dude, is this like the devil in disguise? <laughs> because I'd be like, please don't make me do this. You know, <laughs> like, I just don't let, you know, it's all good. It's a very important thing. People should go into it, whatever. But what I think is very important and what, what I came to an epiphany on, which I would like to challenge you and challenge our viewers. I already you're stepping up with this anyways, but challenge some of the other people listening is we need more entrepreneurs, man, that are in service of people that are on fire for Christ, right? Because they're going to go to bat, man, and they're not going to compromise. We need them going into business because business people, you know, are ruling the world and they have the platform, right? We need people going in like that. They need to step up and go in there. That's more, and you know, that's just as important or more important than what's going on with people. A lot of people who are, you know, serious when they want to go, go big, they're thinking about, oh, I'm going to go into politics or going to go to DC and stuff, right? We got to go into entrepreneurship. One of the, the major thing I'm working on right now, I'm, the major next mission I'm working on, and it's a big build out, is, is building new tech leadership. And I'm building new tech leadership because the current tech leadership is controlling and censoring and exploiting people. I mean, everyone sees it, right? And they're all located and they have a monopoly out in Silicon Valley and Seattle, really. And they're all radicalized left. They're just gone crazy, man. And they're not open to Christianity or, or you know, Judaism, whatever you want to say. Like, anybody who's devout following that faith or people who are dissenters, even conservatives, libertarians that aren't open to those people, they're closing them out. They're bullying them. That's not good for society. Like we got to have open debate. And you know, when you have people like that in power, you're, you're going to have ultimately problems. You need people that have a self-restraint. Like they have principles and they're just not going to do it. They won't take advantage of other people when they have that option to do so. Right. So 
we need people going into tech, especially. I know this is a real estate podcast, but we're going to talk about tech at the Convergence of Real Estate, right? Yeah. So we need people going into tech, man. I mean, I am scratching for the, I need these people, man, not just to join my company, but just go start companies, man. Do stuff like, I mean, they want to stay in real estate investing. That's awesome. Be like you, boom, go in there. But become, you know, I just need, we need leadership across the board. Dude, I, I'm so glad we're having this conversation, man. Like, I love, by the way, clip that. So good. And uh, so, okay. Yes. Amen, brother. And it's, you're so right on. And guys, if you don't know, we're talking to Peter Love Rex here. Guy's built a billion dollar real estate company before. He's all, he's building one of the largest tech entrepreneur companies. I uh, just moved his whole company on Austin, Texas. Go follow this guy on Twitter. Um, you'll know what I mean when I say he just kind of speaks his mind and dude, you're a, you're a breath of fresh air, I think to me and hopefully to my audience today of a guy who loves God, really loves Jesus and, and is doing that on a, on a massive platform and stage. Hey, real estate investors, if you've been enjoying this show for a while or enjoying this content at all, then I'm sure you're going to want to know that we have a mastermind for kingdom-minded real estate investors uh, with folks from all over the country. If you're wondering what is a mastermind, this is a community that we began back in 2020 uh, to really serve faith-minded investors, those who were ambitious in the world of real estate and entrepreneurship, but also passionate about Christ and really wanted a place, an environment, a community uh, where we could really join force, join forces and lock arms with people who are like-minded to really flourish in both of those areas. We also have a ton of fun when we meet in places like Dallas, Orlando, San Diego throughout the year. And so I would love to be able to share with you more details on that. If you go to thekingdomrei.com, that's thekingdomrei.com, you can learn more about our mastermind, hear from our members, and then apply to be a part of this community and give us an opportunity to chat more and see if it's a good fit. Enjoy the show. Um, and so I really, really appreciate you, man, and pumped to have you on this show. Yeah, uh, thanks, Alice. So, but I, so I'm building a billion dollar portfolio. Like that's, I want to build a bigger than a billion dollar portfolio. So I, I want to ask you about that before we get into this, how the heck you became kind of this tech guru, even though I won't tell everybody that you couldn't figure out the AirPods for the show started, but we won't get yeah. into that. Um, it's all about delegation. And yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> So I just don't get like this missing. I just don't understand, man. Like I'm reading your bio and all of a sudden you build a billion dollar real estate portfolio and you were going to Harvard at the same time. I just, I keep researching and can't figure it out. So like, I need you to explain the process of like, were you syndicating those deals? Where did the money come from? How you did that? I, I'm so, I just want to, I want to learn, man. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, and I want to give as much value as I can to the audience and to you and basically try to empower people who are good. I mean, I, I did this podcast specifically because I want to help people like you guys get tooled up with the intellectual tools you need to move forward. And, you know, I'll give a long story short on things because people give you high level, like grit, determination. Yeah, obviously, that's totally true, right? You got to just go down with the ship. You got to keep fighting. But I'd say, you know, I pivoted in, I kind of pivoted my life, right? Coming out of college, out of Georgetown, with Georgetown University. And I had a philosophy and a political philosophy background. So I never knew anything about business at all, you know? So, um, but I did know, and it's not, it sounds funny, but I've had people literally laugh about this is I had a couple of things I did know as once I felt called to go into business, which I went to a monastery because we could just boom, talk about all these things. Right. I went, cause I know I got a Christian audience. I went to a monastery for two weeks and I, and Christian monastery and I spent two weeks in silence and I was 
praying about coming out of college, sort of like existentially, what am I supposed to do? Like completely existentially, what am I supposed to do with my life, right? And I had explored a lot of routes. And, and while I was there, I really it gelled in that I felt called to business. And I was even thinking, is this a temptation or something? You know, like, cause that's like money and stuff. And the monk there that I was taught, I would be able to talk with him for direction. And he was like, well, why would that be a temptation? And he broke that down. He's like, no, that, that would not be a temptation. Um, but go and spend uh, time. And then he quoted the Old Testament. He quoted uh, Ezekiel or something. He's like, God doesn't come in the thunder and the noise. He comes in the still quiet voice. So he's like, go and spend time in quiet, in prayer and listen. And I'm Catholic. So it was, and it's a Catholic monastery. But he said, go spend time in front of the Eucharist, which we believe the body and blood of Jesus, right? He said, go spend time there. So I spent, I mean, I spent like hours and hours. I spent the entire night one time. And I got, and then when the monks came in the morning, I was still there for chanting. So I just spent the whole night in prayer, like Christ, you go all night sometimes, right? So I'm an extreme personality anyway. So, but anyway, so I, I came yeah, to Yeah, I, I, I got that just from reading. Now I know. Now it all makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, what, you know, my, yeah, my family, I was like kind of an outlier in that regard. They'd be like, why are you so damn extreme, man? Growing up, my sister would be like, dude, what's the matter with you? <laughs> I'd be like, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go extreme? So, anyways, but. So yeah, basically decided to go into business. Okay, fine. It's a legit call. I'm going in. I didn't know anything about business. So um, had to use the inter. I used the interlibrary loan system at the time, which I was able to mail order books in for free. And I just got through like, like a lot of books, you know, hundred plus books. I mean, I ended up using multiple libraries because the librarians were getting so pissed about all the books getting ordered. And I covered like the gamut of business, right? And trying to like sift through a lot of books. Because what I knew I did have is I had the ability to read and understand fairly well being philosophy and political philosophy background. And so I ended up just, you know, coming into the realization, okay, how am I getting into business? You know, what am I going to do? What's going to play my strengths? I knew I wanted to build stuff because I'm a builder type. And so I ended up, you know, basically coming into the idea like, okay, real estate, I will start with, but that's just my entry point. And even right now, it's my entry point in tech. I'm doing real estate that converges to tech, right? But as I built that out, I knew that you can get leverage against deals. You could find the deal and point to it. And then investors could say, okay, yeah, okay, I'm, I like that. You know, you might be a philosophy background. You might be whatever. I know you're high, you know, I know you're a reputable guy. I just don't know if you're that good of an investor, but this deal is a good investment. So that's how I was able to hack it at first. And that would be syndications, which, which is what you um, indicated. So syndicating out and then building up my track record, working at it, working at it, working at it. And you mentioned on there somewhere, I saw some of your content, you said it takes about 10 years. I would say, yeah, that's about right. And, and that's that's the right type of thinking. And I would say seven to 15 years, you know, within five years, I started to see success. I mean, successes and I got out of the got out of the red, you know, and, and but within like 15, I, I saw a major success just staying on it. So you've got to keep your eye on the ball and you got to keep coming and, and you have to believe in yourself, right? Nobody's perfect. No one's got all the gifts, right? But Everyone's got strengths and weaknesses. You got to know know thyself, like the uh, right. the uh, the ancient proverb of the the Delphic Oracle, right in Greek Greek times. Know thyself, right? So know thyself. You got to know where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and then teaming, man. Get the right people. You know, like try to find out where do you suck. You know, like, I suck at a number of things. Well, great. Well, let me go find someone who's good at this, right? Um, I'm not a very diplomatic person, so <laughs> as you notice, I speak my mind. Now that's also good because people like that because they they like to see a straightforward person, right? But it's not the best when it comes to like certain things like negotiation. So it's good to have a diplomatic guy. I have some diplomatic people, you know, that work with me that are very good at, at handling, you know, touchy situations or whatever. Um, managing people is not my strength. So I have good manager, people that are good at managing. So just figuring out what you're good at, what you're not good at, play to that, and then keep coming in that, that zone. 
Now, did you, fast did you ultimately exit the portfolio or what? No, I still have about a billion dollars of assets, but I sold about a billion dollars. I, I had bought heavy in the downturn, um, you know, when the crash happened, 2009. I mean, really at the end of 2008, I was buying up stuff. I bought my first note in December, 2008, right after Lehman Brothers crashed. So you were probably just coming out of high school or something like that. So, but I bought my first note then, um, and then that was in December. So it was right after Lehman crashed and AIG was bailed out. Cause I knew that was like, it couldn't get any worse than this, you know? So then I kept coming and eventually I, I, I plowed my way forward into hacking my way forward into building out a larger portfolio during the downturn. And then as the market rose, I refused to sell. I mean, a lot of people are like, yeah, you got to sell, man, liquidate. You know, the other thing is, hey, you know, not being materialistic, like, you know, don't have like, you know, I mean, we already know this Christians anyways, but practicing, practicing that in business is, is actually a huge advantage. Like being frugal, being thrifty with money should be easy for a Christian because you shouldn't be materialistic anyways. You shouldn't be all flashy and crap, right? Because that's just going to hurt you and it's going to get you greedy. So instead of me like trading out in 2014, when it would have been like, I, like I was getting pressure from people to trade out, I decided, no, I'm going to keep holding because I think this thing is going to keep coming. So because it already had a big correction. I mean, it was like 50% up or something. It was nuts, right? And I just like, no, I'm holding. And they, you know, very good people would be like arguing with me, telling me like, listen, man, you know, why not trade out? You know, otherwise you can lose everything. Like 2007 was a bloodbath disaster for everybody, including me. It was hard as heck. I almost went back. Like, I had to basically fight my way through so that I didn't get bankrupted, right? And a lot of people went under and it was tough for 99% of the people. But I was still like, no, man, let, let's hold on because I was more of my eye in the long term, right? So keeping a long-term mindset. And that should also be naturally Christian thing. You think about the afterlife and stuff, right? And that we're supposed to give to others. So we're not going to be able to take anything with us anyway. So we're really stewarding assets that are really going to be for other people, right? So- but it was having these mind, this mindset, I think, actually can help in business a lot. A lot of the things can really play directly in. That's so good, man. Yeah, I mean, because you're thinking, you know, everyone's thinking here now. And, you're, and I love that you're adapting or you're bringing in your faith even to the way you're analyzing markets and analyzing kind of I love that we're stewarding these assets really for somebody else. Uh, and especially if we're syndicating the deals, right? Where we have investors and stuff in the deal. Really interesting. So you still have, you're still managing, what is that? A lot of multifamily? What, 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 what was your asset? What is that holding? Yeah, in? we have a, we, you know, we got to make sure I would say on the, you know, real estate side, I, I've always looked at real estate as just an asset class unto itself rather than bifurcating it between multifamily office, hotels, or whatever land. Um, the, the reason why is because ultimately, the derivative value of the uh, of what's going to drive up the pricing is going to be the land. It doesn't really matter what's sitting on top of like what sits on top of is, is only a matter of like between here and the next like five years. Right. So you have holding patterns so you can meet all your debt payments, but what you're really buying is a piece of land. So you, that's how you got to think about it. And then the other thing you got to think about is constraints. That's the other key thing because constraints are barriers to entry. So like, is there, is there like, is there some kind of reason why people can't build new supply next to you? If that, if there is, it's actually a good thing for you. Now, is that a good thing for society? Probably not, but it is a good thing for the asset itself. Right. But thinking about constraints and then identifying like land pieces. So like here in Austin, Texas, I've, I've purchased, like I bought a hotel last year when we, when we got here and I got that right in the middle of COVID, right? So the pricing was great. It was like August of COVID, not this last August, but the one before that, right? So it was like bottomed out hotel pricing. So I bought a hotel right then. So got another hotel uh, closing on shortly. And so I'll buy, you know, anything that makes sense. I, I want a pretty large ranch, 1100 acres, what I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying I'll do anything. And there's a reason why I did that too. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's scarce. You can have tax advantages if you I run cattle off of it. So you give some tax advantages. So, you know, 
I'm yeah. just talking kind of broadly here. So, so here's a guy who's done a billion or more, I guess at this point in real estate. And then you're like, I'm going to go get into tech. I mean, explain to me the process. And I want to transition this conversation about really what you're doing from a, as a disruptor with real estate, with tech, I mean, to kind of get into really what you're doing now, but tell me like, even how that began to come about. I mean, I just think like, why not go build a $10 billion real estate portfolio? Why, why all of a sudden start thinking about tech and then moving into this space? Yeah, Ellis, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a great question. And it was definitely puzzling to a lot of my advisors in 2014 when I had the idea. So around 2004, like coming along the way, I know I built a basically a tech enabled product actually while I was at Harvard Law School that worked well. It worked so well that Craig Newmark from Craigslist actually called me so many times to try to tell me to stop doing whatever I'm doing because people in Boston were trying to like get it shut down because I was like crushing, <laughs> so which they couldn't do and they didn't know what I was doing. So, but I was using <laughs> a technology type play I hacked together using a computer science Harvard kid that was a fr like, I basically became friends with him, but he, he built it for me, I paid him. I mean, I paid off like all the costs to it, plus was netting cash within the first like week. So anyways, it ended up being a cash cow. Um, so that was my intro to like tech ideas. I would say that was 2008, 2009. And then, you know, as I'm in real estate building stuff out, I just saw, and this is where I think I can really give value to you and to listeners, to the viewers, because I can really touch on stuff that's going to be coming to real estate in the tech space that's going to disrupt it. Cause I've been on this for a while and this is where they should know and they should be ahead of the curve, adopting products quickly, getting ahead, making sure they run these assets. By being an early adopter of some of these things I'm going to talk about, they can stay ahead of the curve and ahead of the wave and catch that wave, you know what I'm saying, and ride it up rather than be left behind, right? So, so we'll get into that as we, as we run here. But, you know, long story short, man, as I was, I, I ran everything, right? You, you know, when I mentioned two things I knew, I had worked construction when I left the seminar, I worked construction, plus I'd worked construction. Every Irish person worked construction in New York, right? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, anyways, I'd worked, I'd worked construction, obviously, like, what else would you do? But Anyways, and enough that I was like, dude, I'm not lifting another damn thing in my life unless it's at the gym. But uh, it's just too much like carrying blocks and stuff, you know? But um, anyways, but I, I know construction a little bit, not, not as well as like high-end construction guys. But, and you know, I also know like all of the processes around running properties from the ground up and, and private equity guys and guys I went to school at Harvard with that go into private equity, they don't know that stuff. They don't know it at all. They don't understand it because I ran things on my own, I had to run things on a cash basis to just meet payments. I know all the debt, the mortgage, I know all that stuff cold from end to end, right? So I can see all huge inefficiencies. And I was just seeing this everywhere. So much, it was driving me nuts, man, in like 2010, 11, 12. And I was just finally, I was like, that's it, man. Like, I gotta do something about this. Like, I wanna build new technologies in the space. But I had a broader idea, like I have a long-term plan. I have a thousand year plan, but let's not get into that. But I have a, a shorter version that is a 60 year more condensed plan that's stretches out as a long written up document I have, but a 60 year plan goes to 2075. And I drafted that out in 2014 or so. And, and basically in there, I have a lot of things I wanna get done. And essentially I wanna deliver value and serve people of all nations, which you'll recognize as a Christian theme, right? But I wanna serve people of all nations. In order to do that, I mean, tech's such a good angle, right? And I was already seeing all these screaming means in real estate. So I was always like, man, we got, I gotta do something here. So, but, but I realized I missed a lot of gaps ground up. I knew the USA ground up well enough, but I didn't know other countries. So at that point, I, for a year and a half, I left with my wife and a kid and I had a kid and we went to 85 countries. So my wife and kid didn't go to all 85, but they went to a lot of them because some, some were a little danger, <laughs> dangerous, you know, I was throughout <laughs> Africa and stuff. Right. So, but I had to get that. I had over a thousand meetings, which is mind boggling 
people have called, tried to call BS on me on this to be like, actually, that's impossible. And I'm like, actually say whatever you want. Cause that's what I did. Cause we, I had three assistants helping me and they're recording every damn meeting and I was writing notes on everything. Right. So because wow. just the volume of meetings was so much, I mean, the amount of flights I had, I don't even know how many there was, but staggering amount. Cause I was flying every damn city, you know, and having all these meetings on the ground. It was nuts. But I, I was like, when I finished that up, I was exhausted, but I moved to San Francisco because I was like convict. I was totally like, all right, I'm building a technology company. That's it. And this is going to be game changer. Went to San Francisco to learn tech, right? That's how I ended up there. I went to Seattle because I realized I was missing the whole like Microsoft, Amazon way of doing things, which is very different. And also San Francisco people are such haters on them. So they kind of hate on them, but I'm always like an admirer. I'm always like, why are they winning? Like, why does Bill Gates crush everybody? What like in the past and why is Bezos crushing everyone now? So I was like, let me go check it out. So I moved up there, got embedded in that ecosystem, then moved here last, just recently, a year and a half ago, right. because I want to build a new tech ecosystem now, which I think is really important to the world. But I'm going to do it through real estate. And that's where we can get into right now. Like, where are there gaps in the real estate game? Where is technology going to likely disrupt it? And actually, I'll be leading the charge on this because I have a lot of products I'm rolling out that is going to disrupt the real estate space. And we can get into all these things. I think you'll find them, you'll find them interesting. And so will your viewers. I'm definitely interested. I mean, dude, the couple of things, you know, we're, we've done a lot of study on the blockchain. I know that's one of your products you got rolling out. There's another thing called Get Done where with rental property maintenance, the Amazon of services there. So like, where, where do you want to start? I definitely want to make sure we talk about the blockchain and what you think that's going to do to even the price of real estate and value of real estate. But dude, what should I know? I mean, here I am, dude. I'm Peter, like I'm 30 years old. We got, you know, several million dollars of real estate already, but we're trying to grow. What do I need to know, man? Like I, time is on my side. So like if you were talking yeah. to, you know, your younger self and you're trying to build your billion, billion dollar real estate portfolio again, what do I need to know? Well, you know, time is on your side when you're young, but don't waste it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Invest your time well. But I would say, you know, it's going to change a lot in the next 10 years of real estate, I would imagine. Well, I'm going to help make a change, right? And it's going to change because of technology is going to shift this change. And that's going to play to the advantage of those who catch this early, like you, who are generally the younger people are the ones who catch it earlier for whatever reason, right? So you guys will be the ones that catch it earlier, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily just for the young. There'll be older people that are just keyed in, right? And they'll catch it too. But I think like, so there's a lot of areas in sure tech, fintech, you know, and then other things that can be launched and will be launched throughout the real estate industry that's going to just cut into the way things are done. Right now, it's a very monolithic structure on the property management side, the way it runs. It's like top down all the way to the ground with maintenance people, right? So we have some disruptive things where we already get got out there and they're live. But we can go into blockchain first and then we can work our way down to some of the other things that we're already baking up and we're going to be spinning up. And if we don't we don't finish them up, that's cool. At least we got done the headliner that you wanted to cover, which is blockchain. Yeah, let's do it. Do you, will we be, will I be selling shares of my real estate deals at $5 a slice to people in India in 10 years? I would say it, it's in 20 years. Yes. Um, I don't know about 10, but, um, and you will on ownprop.com our, our site, cause that's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. on own prop, we call it own prop. And the reason why it's called own prop is because we want people to be able to own property. <laughs> that's why it's own prop. But, um, Oh, prop, what we're doing there is, and we, it's already live, it's moving, it's behind the scenes, you don't really see it, but but it's happening already. We already have we already have a property on there and we have another one coming on that's iconic assets here in downtown Austin. And what we're doing there is we are fraction, we're just fractionalizing the asset 
tokenizing it so that you can take that token and you could be in Romania and you could just go to sleep with it at night knowing that your government's not going to be able to take it from you, right? Yeah. And you could buy it for, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. Now, there are a lot of barriers to being able to pull that off right now. And most of them are regulatory barriers, but they're real barriers. And we're going to work through those. I mean, this is one, you know, advantage I have in this area, which is kind of lucky, basically, because I, I have a law degree from Harvard and I also understand this stuff. But the legal stuff is, is complex. We're going to work through it, though, but that eventually we'll be able to get to that person outside the country. But let's talk within the United States for, you know, to begin with. Right. Right now, we, we now right now, as in within the next 90 days, people can buy for tokens off of our off of our platform of assets that are iconic assets in downtown Austin, the fastest growing city in America by far. And you'll be right in the CBD. Right. And you can buy them for we have to set the minimum, but eventually we want to get down to like a dollar a share. So you can buy a piece of real estate for a dollar. Now you can't do that without blockchain. Blockchain's critical for this. Now I was, I was fortunate to be in San Francisco because I, I read, uh, I read the Bitcoin white, white paper when I landed there and I read it and I thought, man, this is ingenious. But unfortunately it was, it was like a bull market then for a book. So I put, put money in like an escrow account. And then when it's a crashed two Thanksgivings ago, I bought it for like around three, 4,000 bucks or whatever. So so it was just sitting there for like two years. Then I just called my wife. I was like, wait, a buddy of mine texted me, be like, hey, you were wrong about Bitcoin. It crashed. I was like, oh, it did? Actually, thank you for the notification. I'm going to go buy it. Because <laughs> like 300 coins went under then, you know, something like that. It was a bloodbath, right? So anyways, we bought that. It, it's way up. I'm Bitcoin a million, bro. It's gonna, I think it's going to keep going. Now, I could be wrong about that. So I don't want people to go freaking out. And I'm with you. The money I'm, I'm, st I'm still buying, actually. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm bullish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm not buying anymore, but I bought already. Yeah, so. well, when you were buying in freaking 2000, whatever, man, like, you know, you yeah. got hundreds of coins. Yeah, 30x returns, not bad in like th two years. But, uh, yeah, yeah. the, um, but anyways, it, you know, getting into, the, but anyways, when I read this within a, few, within a few weeks, I'd say I had the idea of putting real estate on it because I realized like this whole like way they're doing it, where they're using the node system of these thousand, 10,000 computers. And they're, they're using hashing to crypto, cryptographically secure this. I was like, this is ingenious. And the ability then to you know, take that off the chain and lower the cost of the transaction. Because what you do there with blockchain on real estate, what you're doing is you lower the transactional cost. Right. And that's the key part, man. You lower the cost so that that way someone could own that share. So for example, like if I go to buy a $10,000 piece of real estate, right? That wouldn't even make any sense because I go to buy it and it's like a thousand bucks in legal costs. Like, right, you know. So why I just paid like, you know, that much money for legal costs as a percentage of the ownership doesn't make any sense. But if you can lower all that so you can record with provenance, which is the tracking of the asset over history, and you record that with a low cost and you know it's secure because it's distributed over 10,000 plus computers or whatever, then you can actually buy for a very low price. So that's and that's what why I'm really why I'm excited about this as well is that it allows it to democratize real estate as an asset class more. At the, at the targeted asset class level, you go to buy stuff. It's really like a luxury of the wealthy, right? I mean, the wealthy can go and buy assets, but guys who are, you know, coming up and like, you know, not rich or whatever, they can't get in. So we're already having this problem where like people are having a tough time to even buy a home now, right? So that'll probably keep going in that direction as they get priced out. But I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would say I'll, I'll even go as far as to say this is kind of a prediction. This is probably more like 30 years out, but I think that eventually even home ownership will just be like a few people own homes and it's like, whatever. It's almost like owning like, um, you know, like a horse or something. You just have it because you want it. 
but like you don't need it because you'll just go own real estate through fractionalized interest in own prop, you know, give a shout out to my own company there. But because I think we're going to win with the, the, the vision there is the New York Stock Exchange of real estate. So we want people to buy and sell that easily. Right. But let's just say 30 years from now, and this could happen even faster. It's hard to predict, but that's why I just give myself safety and say far out. But 30 years from now, you're going to still be here from. from yeah. 30 years is not that long, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's not that long, you know, and, and the, um, but it's freaking, it's pretty long though. But anyways, the, uh, but anyways, the, the point is, and this could happen even in 10 years, honestly, it could happen. Mm -hmm. It could start accelerating itself as new technologies come out, as they're adopted and we get clearance to the SEC and everything else. But people will be like, well, why would I own a home when I can own real estate without doing a damn thing besides buy buying it low cost on blockchain on ownprop.com? Why am I going to bother owning a home when all I want is I'll separate the ownership aspect of the real estate from the enjoyment and use of it. So when you enjoy and use the asset, you know, actually I enjoy the asset less when I own it anyways with real estate. Cause I'm like, it's like a headache, like the maintenance and everything else. You know, I didn't want to buy a personal home for a long time. Like I bought my first one after we had our like second or third kid or whatever. But that, that was like, I just realized like I had to, cause we were like running out of options as you know, we just keep, uh, you know, having more kids. And then as I came to Texas, same thing, we bought another home. But other than that, I didn't want to own a home because I have exposure to real estate as an asset class elsewhere. And I'd rather just rent. And like, it's not my problem. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. Me you know, <laughs> life doesn't work or whatever, you know, electrical issues, like someone else got to fix that. So, so I think that that one actually bifurcate or should bifurcate. They should separate those two things, enjoyment and use from ownership as an asset class. And that way it's not muddled. And then you'll just go in and you'll pay rent at a place and you'll own your real estate elsewhere, or you'll pay rent. And some owners will say, Hey, you pay rent on this and you get a little percentage in the chain of this property. You get like a little token for good behavior. There's an idea we had rolling out too. You can give tenants a little ownership in the property itself, possibly as a residual. You know what I mean? If they almost like a bonus for stickiness, staying there, being a good resident, et cetera. And so what I, what I hear you saying is even more than just, hey, we're going to take our syndication deal and tokenize it. You're saying this could really transform even home ownership to the point of like, what's the point of, you know, having your name on the title when you can fractionalize this across multiple homes in, in Austin and still rent essentially. So you're saying this is going to, this could trickle down all the way to the home ownership level, which I actually, I guess, haven't thought that far out yet. So that's kind of really interesting to hear. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll you know, I'll keep riffing on this, this point about this, this idea of the platform, because we've thought this thing through, you know, at, at a very deep level, but you know, it's, you can be, you know, you can have a parent or, you know, aunt or grandma or whatever, they could be living in like Cleveland, Ohio, you know, and they could want to visit their kids, but they, they are equity rich in their house and they are cash poor, which is very common. There's like $8 trillion of this stuff or something. It was crazy. The number we found on this, I figured there was a lot. I didn't know it was this much. I just thought it was like, probably, you know, definitely in the high hundreds of billions. I wasn't thinking trillions, but anyways, you have these baby boomers, whatever they got kids, grandkids, they'd love to have some mobility in their life. They could just tokenize some of their home and sell pieces of it off without taking on debt. Wouldn't that be great? Well, they can. I mean, that's one of the ideas we have on OwnProp is allow people to put their home on it, sell partial interest in it, maintain control and use it and enjoyment of the property and, and some ownership if they want, or just they can just sell everything if they want, whatever. If someone wants to buy it, you know, if someone wants to sell it, someone will be out there to buy it if it's real estate, right? It's just about lowering the barriers to entry. Right. All right. So, wow. Blockchain. I mean, that's, I, I'm really fascinated by that. How, I mean, how can we do like, how do we participate in that? Like, how do we get 
on your train so that we can help blow up this so we can do this faster. Like talking to, you know, if you're, I mean, we have a massive audience of guys who are syndicating deals, investors, whatever. Like how do we as Donna, that next generation or so begin to participate with guys like you to help do this in 10 years and not 30? What do we need, what do we need to do? Oh yeah, no, for sure. I and mean, you want to catch stuff like now, get your interest now because before it's like already too late, right? So, I mean, look, one is you can back my startups, my companies, because I'm taking investment in for the first time, actually, we haven't taken any investment in. Self-finance, everything has been running, but we're taking investment in for the first time, actually. So people could invest, they go to rex.com, rex.com, just look at investor thing, you can click through, you can take a look at the assets. Now they have to be accredited investors though, which, which kind of sucks, honestly, but that's just the way it is with the SEC and it's just not really a way around it right now. I wish I could just open up to anybody, but it's not, they need to change the rules so it's actually fair playing ground. Anybody who's got a good idea should be able to invest, but that's not the way it is. So you have to be accredited. So look that up. If you're accredited, then boom, go to rex.com and click on investors. You can see what we have and you can invest. So that's one thing you can do. You can get an ownership interest right now while it's like straight out of the gate at the seed round. So that's that's one way, right? The second way is you could like partner with our company, OwnProp, because we're going to take partnerships on with joint ventures. Like say if you have properties in, I think it's San Diego you're living, I'm not sure. Yeah. So sorry that you live in California with that government, but San Diego is beautiful. I'm so, going to ask you about Austin before we get off the call, dude. So I, I was reading yeah. your bios today. I was like, you know, I text my wife. I'm like, should we move to Austin? So anyways, I do want to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Come on over, man. We could use some good people. So um, we don't want to leave, leave California to go to hell either fully. Right. So, but anyways, the, um, but say you have assets in San Diego and you want to give your investors the ability to have the upside of tokenization. You could partner with our platform and you could put your assets on there and tokenize the asset, right? And then they could sell it at, you know, whatever we is the lower. At first, we're going to have a, you know, maybe it's like a thousand, 10,000 at first, but we're going to lower that down over time to like a dollar. But even 10,000, 20,000 being able to sell and broadly marketed, they may be able to get like 10% pops. On, I mean, I don't want to give any guarantees, but they can get pops on the money, right? And then for you as a, as a person who gets promoted, that's a huge tail event, right? 10% above that, above whatever it would be, is just all cream, you know? So you make a lot of money as a promoter on that, but they do really well also. I mean, you're aligned with them, you're a partner, right? So it's like you both right. win, but we also win because we get another asset that from a proven operator like yourself that's on the platform and you give your investors this optionality. It's kind of like, it's, it's like what you're doing for your investors is like, hey, you know, I know you're getting DVDs and, you know, but we want to make sure you're Netflix ready and you're going streaming. Like Netflix kept DVDs, but they also went streaming just in yeah. case. And streaming was the future. Well, if tokens are the future, you going on a platform like this early, even if they don't want to sell their tokens, they have the option to. In the meantime, they're already how, got- How soon can we do this? Like, is this ready now? You can, I mean, you could theoretically do it right now. I mean, we are ready as a platform. I would say more like 60 days would be better, but I'd oh, want to wow. get you in with our guys. And- also, we're going to have to then be in California, which is not my favorite regulatory body. But, you know. We actually own assets outside of California. We own assets in Kansas City, Houston, okay. uh, Arizona, oh, Albuquerque. So we're, okay, we're not cool. just in San that's Diego. Cool. Yeah. And so, and, and yeah, that could work. And we, we can put you, I can put you in touch with the guys that are over there and they can start working with you. And if we're going to go partnership route with you, then it would just be, you know, a longer thread type thing where it's like, yeah. hey, this is a repeat game. So it's probably more upfront work, but we get it set up and then it starts working. So that, that, that'd be one way with you or other people that run funds could do something like that in the future. Really interesting. All right. So we've crushed the blockchain check. 
what what else is what like from a disruptive standpoint, man? Being early, early. And, and Ellis, one one thing to caveat too, just so I set the table correctly, is we have SEC approvals to get through. We are going to get through them. I mean, it's a matter of hurdles that we we know we got to do. We have like two other lawyers on, actually three or four other lawyers, but and we have an SEC expert that used to be in the SEC for ten years. So we have about a year hurdle to actually get clearance to sell tokens, per se. But because of the accredited investor thing, we could actually get that up. But anyways, let's let's say about 12 months after you're on the platform, those investors should be able to sell their interests in form of tokens to other accredited investors. And long-term, once we get that clearance, they could sell the non-accredited and it'll open up to everyone. So real quick, I got to go back to that. That, from could a, like, that could be like, you know, that could be 18 to 36 months from now. Peter, how does this, how do you think about what that will do to, so cap rates are super low right now across all asset classes and all markets really. But I kind of see this and make the case that, especially in class A, use the word iconic, right? But I just mean like, especially in good markets like a Dallas, a Houston, Austin, for example, Raleigh, North Carolina, the hot markets, cap rates are so so low now. But do you think this could even drive prices even higher, compress cap rates even further when, when you're able to fractionalize A-class assets through the blockchain? What, I mean, what do you think about that? What do you think this does to value of real estate? especially commercial real estate. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's, um, I would say cap rates are good, you know, in my opinion, you know, my perspective is they're going to go down more because where the hell else could they go? If you make it easy to trade in and out, it's like this, right? You already have this much supply of real estate online, right? Just think about a seesaw. Just visualize seesaw. You have this much supply of real estate on a pile, right? That's already there. It's already there. You have this many people that are buying it, and that's already there. That's what we have right now. We start opening it up more. Well, the supply of real estate doesn't change actually, because what are you going to do? It's not many more land. It just is what it is, right? And if you're going to build more buildings, it takes a number of years to build more buildings, anyways. On top of that land, but certainly land is is what it is. So you have this fixed thing here. You have this other thing that's right now temporarily fixed. As we explode the left side of this thing, you just blow up the whole demand side. So there's massive demand then that's unlocked that maybe wants to get into that real estate and never had a chance to get in because they weren't able to buy in at that, that low, like they want to say if they want to buy that iconic hotel downtown, but they just want to throw a dollar in or 10 bucks, but they know that asset because they walk past it every day to work. Why would they buy, why wouldn't they just buy that? Then, you know, buying some like random stock. Then what the hell's going on with that? Or buying some random like coin. If they buy that thing, the, the durability of that asset is much more proven throughout history. Yes. So I think that, you know, cap rates are just going to go really low. I mean, I, I don't even know what is the cap rate of that. Basically, think about, you know, I don't want to get, you know, I can, we can get into even deeper threads on, on investment thinking here. But you think, of, I mean, it, treasuries, right? So you buy treasuries, essentially, you know, loans from the government, right? So you, okay, it's got a certain rate they're going to pay you. Would you rather have a treasury paying you 1% or would you rather have a negative 1%? Like you have to pay in 1% per year, but you own an iconic asset in downtown Austin. Well, which one is going to have a better outcome in 10 years? Your 1% return off the treasury money they're paying you or the negative 1% where you have to pay 1% and you hold for 10 years. Which one will have more money in 10 years? You're saying because of the compounding, because of that, that real estate's going to grow in value, even though you're yeah, paying yeah, in, so you're exactly. still going to make so like, more than 1% a year. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard anybody point this out. I've just, I just have had this thought before because people always peg the treasuries and they always think, oh, it can't go any lower. But something, dude, it could be negative cap rates. I just gave you a thought experiment right there that which should be negative then if that's what I'm saying is true it should be negative 
because which one is actually lower risk? I mean, it, I mean, they're both like very low risk assets, right? And one's going to definitely appreciate and the other one's not. It's going to just pay you a fixed amount. The other one you got to pay into. So it's kind of like cost you money in the meantime, but the appreciation on it is going to be, is going to beat it by like, Theoretically, it's negative is what you're saying. I mean, it, it, it's a negative cap rate because you're paying into it, essentially. Well, yeah, what I'm exactly what I'm saying is you could have a negative cap rate and you could have appreciation on the asset. Yeah. And that will beat out any day treasuries over their 10 year period. But anyways, let me not get into that. That's a controversial. Dude, this point. is so fascinating. Like, you don't know if people are going to love this conversation. Man. Okay, like, yeah, this I mean, it's is a so freaky good. point. I've never heard anybody make this point, but it's a thought I had about it. because We just lost Peter, by the way. <laughs> I started freaking out, man. My ear pop popped. All right, he's back. He's so, back. But anyways, I've done. Um, you know, I started thinking about this because I think about other assets. I just, when it comes to investment decisions, I just think about pure. I'm an, an investor then, so I think about anything. That's what you say in real estate. Am I multifamily? I'm like, no, I just think about it as an investment, right? But then I think, you know, I've done oil before when oil crashed and completely crushed it. Did Bitcoin when it crashed, crush it there. I've done a number of things, and even I run my company, I make investment decisions as we decide where we're going. But when, so when I think about it, I try to abstract backwards and just say, okay, let me look at this whole thing. And then when I think like treasury rates, real estate, dude, I'd rather pay 1% and so I'll be a negative 1% cap rate. And you still yes. do better in 10 years. Yeah. So, wow, man, we just got a few more minutes. I do want to just, and we can't talk about everything, but is there anything else like in terms of real disruption and owning, purchasing yeah. real estate that is just really worth noting that maybe even gives us more time to go explore from this conversation? Yeah, definitely. I'll give you a few other ones we're doing that are very disruptive is we have a company called Get Done. And Get Done is, it's going to be the Amazon of services, but we're starting by disrupting rental property maintenance. And that that area is extremely ripe for disruption. I'm not sure if you, if you ever deal with maintenance yourself on these things, but it's just, it's horrible dealing with all the construction people and trying to manage that whole thing. It's a cluster, man. It is a, it's a zombie industry. It's, as it's, it's worse than the taxi cab industry before Uber hit it. It's just sitting there. It's waiting to get knocked down and Get Done's going to knock it out, man. And Get Done's already on the move. We're using machine vision behind the scenes. And we have a legit team. We're not fake. Like these other companies talk about machine vision, machine learning. Yeah, right. They're not doing crap. We have a sick team, world-class machine vision team, and ML team, machine learning team, that's working on this. And we're doing stuff with machine vision nobody else is doing that I've heard about. And we're doing it in rental property maintenance to disrupt that space. Because if you can just think about it, like what is the key constraint to making money in, in rental property, right? The number one constraint, the first and number one constraint is actually getting the unit ready. And in order to get that unit, because that's like getting inventory on your shelf. It's like, I have a store, but I don't got anything for sale. So people are walking in on the sale. Okay, well, you got to get inventory. How do you get inventory? You got to get that ready and get it on the shelf. So the first thing within that we're, we're nailing is we're nailing the make ready process. But we're doing it in a scalable way so it can drive efficiency. So we're bringing down like 14 day average down to like four and we're doing it on scale, you know? So it's, this is not ready for like outside of Texas right now. We're just doing it in Austin, but we're gonna have it ready for outside of there. I'd say within about nine months or so, it's already doing it in Austin, but we'll be ready to push it out further to probably Florida and Texas. And then after that, really anywhere. So wow. I think I'll put that on the radar of people because that's going to change the game of how that's done. Because if you're running property management, right? I had a vertically integrated company, so I know this. You have a huge staff of maintenance people and the turnover is tremendous. People leave for like a dollar more an hour. It's like zero. There's just a lot of problems there. And we have, by the way, we have an awesome maintenance staff that's with us. And what we're going to do with that staff is we're going to scale them up and try to leverage them, right? And they're already doing better. And then you can pay your people better and they can do more knowledge work. So they can do more thinking. But getting all these things done is an absolute nightmare. 
then think about it from like your wife, right? I think you said you had a wife, right? And kid, right? But your wife's got like maintenance issues, right? Okay. Are you comfortable with her having a maintenance guy coming over when you're not there? Like, I'm not, because I don't know who this guy is. Like, it's completely broken the whole system. So you can have a simple problem at your house and no one, you can't trust anybody to come in. So you got to like only trust like your neighbor's friend. Okay, well, how do you know that dude's legit anyways? Well, your neighbor said, okay, maybe he is. He's your cousin or whatever it is. Okay, that's fine. But that's so like, that's very limiting. You don't even know that's the best person for the job, right? But this platform creates transparency around that. So that way you know this person coming in, you know who they are, you can, they're gonna be credentialed and get done, we'll back it up. That's getdone.com if they wanna look more into it, whatever. You can also rex.com, you can find all this stuff on, if you click investors, it'll, it'll go to this stuff. So that's another yeah. one. The, the, there's a couple of terms. I, I got I got to go Google what machine vision is. So like, I'm going to okay. go do that. I can, I can explain that. I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you. No, look, I want to educate you and your, and your listeners. I want you guys going and crushing it, man. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, like I, that I, we could so, have another hour, dude. This is so good stuff. What is machine vision? Explain that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Dude, by the way, that's the way to learn is that humility because humility people with boldness, they're going to win in the long run. Right. Cause no one knows everything. Right. Just ask the question. Boom. Then you, now, you know, like I'll, I'll explain it. You know, when you go on, I'll explain it very easy way to understand. You know, when you go on your phone and it's like identifying like, oh, that's your wife, your kid, your friend, and it shows the names, yeah. that's machine vision. That's like Facebook, whoever, Apple, using machine vision to identify the facial recognition, to tie that to the person using machine learning, essentially, where they're matching against multiple different face patterns that are the same because it's your face. So it knows, okay, that's definitely him versus that's your brother. Maybe it'll confuse you and your brother, but who knows if you have a brother or not, but I look just like my brother. Yeah, but I'm way better looking at my brother. So that's never going to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was better looking until I broke his nose a few times. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. But uh, the, uh, the, uh, so, but yeah, we look similar. But, you know, but, but the point is, machine vision will even know the difference of that now. It's so good. It's so accurate. But taking machine vision, we are applying that to the maintenance space. And so we're doing that in ways that you can then, you can basically eliminate the human need for quality control. And the human need for quality control is something nobody likes to do. Nobody wants to go in there and like, go check the work. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I gotta go check this work again. Are you kidding me? And then upfront too, when they go through, they can use the machine vision and like it will identify the problems for them. So they might not notice it. And on top of that, it's gonna be able to identify like blue taping and stuff, or, you know, these are like detailed things you know with property management. Blue taping, when you gotta like tape out the sides when you're doing like different work, like painting or whatever, to make sure you don't splash on it up. They get blue tape very quickly. You know, like it will show you exactly where the problems are. Like, so we're doing stuff like that, you know, and, and that's, that's going to change like the total amount of like low level labor that's needed on this stuff. I'm a little, but someone's still got to come in there and change my washing machine, bro. Like someone's still got to come in there and grab a wrench and do something, right? No, no, like, no, no, totally. Machine vision helps though, to say like, say you come in and you say, Hey, my wife goes, she says, I want to get my washing machine changed out. Right. That's what she wants. Right. She can take a picture of that washing machine. Our machine vision eventually is going to know the type of unit that is, say she wants to fix it, then we'll know the type of unit, the parts needed, everything else, right? Boom, that quickly. Or she's like, I need a new washing machine. Here's a picture of it. That's the size, you know, that's what I'll need. And they'll be like, okay, they know what she needs. And then what it does is it routes to the right person that is trusted that we have information on and we can backtrack, we know who they are and we'll stand behind that person in case like this person doesn't do a good job. We'll make wow. sure it does a good job. And then boom, it routes that person in to get this thing done. Wow. And it uses the crowdsourcing of on-demand labor to get that done, right? It all go, and another thing is we can set up and we are going to work to do this to create supply chain networks. So we can go to Home Depot and like have them give discounted prices that will pass on to your wife. So we can buy these things in bulk and then boom, pass on that savings to her. 
So that, that's yeah. you find what I'm doing now. Yeah, and that's a, that's a your your hundred so x increasing the speed of like us getting yeah, our washing machine fixed and probably and reducing about, the cost by fifty percent. Yeah, and the motto of this is get get done stuff, free up life. And the reason yeah. why is because when you want to get done that type of stuff, right? Your wife just just wants like delete, get this out of my brain. I don't want to deal with this. I got more important things. I'm worried about my job, worried about my family. I want to get my education furthered. I want to go and just spend time with you or family, go on a vacation, whatever it might be, right? She don't want to go deal with washing machines, not even her expertise. So get that out of the way and free up her life. That's the idea. And that, and that we're starting with empowering property managers though. That's our bullseye first. So it empowers people so they can do more in every capacity. So like working people that go to fix these, it doesn't eliminate human labor, it leverages humanity. So it eliminates the low drudgery of human labor, right? But it plays to their creativity more. Peter, two more questions. I'll let you get out of here. Austin, Texas. Is this the hub, dude? Like, is this where if, if you really want to be in tech and real estate, you need to be at? Like, give me a pitch on why I should move my family out of San Diego to Austin. Yeah, well, why you should move out of California is an you know, easy one. But the, um, well, I, I would say, look, we're going to make it the new tech leadership. We're going to take control from Silicon Valley. And because they've, they have compromised the trust that people gave them and abuse that trust through censoring, exploiting, exploiting teenage girls, bro. These guys are like pigs. It's like, you already have a monopoly. You're making tons of money. And now you're like exploiting girls with like ads that make them feel self-conscious. So they like feel suicidal. Like, you know, get a life, man. You're out of here. You're out. So we got to build new tech leadership because these guys have a monopoly on talent. So we need talent density. And it's our best bet is out of Texas. And Austin might be, some people say Austin's too liberal. It's too whatever. Fine, man. But we're in the middle of Texas. You know, we're still in Texas. It's the capital of Texas. Like it ain't, you know, Texas people are going to fight, man. They, they believe in faith, family, freedom. Like they're going to fight for their freedom. It's not going to give up easy. And so we're, we're probably the best shot of the free world out of here to keep the world free, man. And we got to build that out. So it's a very important mission. That's why I'm pumped about it, building new tech leadership out of here. So if you come over here, my pitch would be, you could be part of that, man. You can be part of this alliance, come from the real estate side. Boom. You could be using the prop tech things. We could do different partnerships. Who, who yeah. knows? Right. Yeah. And for your family and kids. Well, San Diego's pretty good, man. A lot of good military people kind of keep holding it down over there. So, you know, and I don't want Cali to go to hell either, man. There's so many good people over there, man. Yeah. So, but the, the thing is, though, the government is just overstepped big time. Mm -hmm. like, they don't respect individual rights anymore. Mm -hmm. They think what's more important to them is they push their ideology, their pet ideology onto you than that they worry about helping out the poor and the working class. Mm -hmm. So I'm from the working class. So I'm like, screw you guys, man. You don't care about people anymore. Like you're the Democratic Party is like the party of FDR, man. You're supposed to care about people. Like you don't. Like you're not. Mm. You're not part of me anymore. You're out of here. Because yeah. Irish used to be very loyal to the Democratic Party, but they've compromised. Anyways, man, Cali is sort of the poster boy of the problem, and it, the, the fight's not over. But I'd say technology, we got to get it out of this monopoly hands of Silicon Valley, where all the talent there is like so radicalized. We got to build in a better place that's more free, and we got to take we got to take leadership in tech. And then we got to make sure there's there's people with principles, Judeo-Christian principles, so they will self-govern, self-restrain, and they won't tyrannize people, tyrannize over people. Dude, last question. You got your real estate deals you want to sell me? You already, you already sold a billion, man. You got any big multifamily deals you just looking to unload? You want to, you, should we talk offline? What's the deal, man? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, you know, generally I'm not a seller. I'm a, I'm a holder. So I'm a whole long-term type guy. But I did sell. I sold a, a billion dollars. The reason why I sold a billion dollars was the economy – at that time, and like three, I started selling in 2017. I sold a billion pretty quick. I sold, I started selling because the economy was running perfectly. So you sell the horse when it's running perfectly. It was 3% unemployment, never been that way in 60 years. This is under the Trump administration in a certain blip. And I was just like, man, this can't get any hotter, this economy. So 
I sold, I almost like regret that I sold honestly, because like after they started dumping all this money in the economy, I just put a halt to selling. Cause I was like, man, we're going to see inflation. So that'd be another thing you can expect is some inflation. So asset inflation at least, but I'm, I'm not really a seller, but I'd say we have a hotel downtown. Uh, if you're a buyer or people are interested in that, we're buying that. Um, we'll be investing in that. We'll have other assets coming on. They can invest on online. Your assets might be on own prop where the other people can open up and start investing your own investors, but others can invest with you, you know, hosted on this thing where we're in some kind of a joint venture. Guys, just get ready. Me, you're gonna see Ellis Hammond and Peter Rex doing something together, man. Dude, I love chatting with you. It's been this is really, really fun, man. I, you're a, a man who really loves the Lord and just is clearly ambitious, vision minded. It really gets me excited. So I appreciate you taking some time, dude, to speak with me, our audience. Where did like uh, again, Rex.com is probably the best place anywhere else. I mean, you're on Twitter. I see you're pretty active there. Where do you want folks to go, man? I would go, you know, go rex.com because, you know, I don't know, Twitter could probably cancel me any moment. And, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Deplatform me. I just say whatever the hell I want. And the uh, whatever side, rex.com, that would be the best spot to go. And plus, that's where we got all our information. And they can go there. And, um, you know, and, and look, man, for you and for the listeners, like, you got to, like, believe in yourself, you know, have vision. Like, you're not going to do a billion LAs. You're going to do 10 billion eventually. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you play long game. You're 30 years old, man. Where are you going to be when you're 50? You know, like you could easily build 10 billion. So I mean, not easily, but it's going to take like focus and time and keep at it. But you can have 10 billion in assets. Just keep coming, and you'll be serving tons of investors that are like-minded and doing well for them, right? So, but I'd say have big vision. I would just step up your visions every listen by like 10x them for me, just because I got to see people like you coming in swinging. You know, you got to be bold, man. Be invictus. Have an invincible mindset that you're going to get in there and do crazy stuff, man. Think about the early missionaries like St. Paul and stuff, right? He wasn't thinking about like, you know, losing his life. He was like, man, you got to lose your life to gain it. So he was out there just boom, hitting the ground, right? And you guys got to do it through the business side because we got we to gotta have people with good hearts and leadership. Otherwise, the country, the world is going to go to hell, man. Like, and we're going to be like getting tyranny and everything else. It's not going to be good. And it could happen. It can happen. You got to remember like, there's places that used to be Christian in the past that are no longer. They're completely just stamped out. Yeah. Not not a not Christianity to be found. Look at where St. Augustine used to live, right? That was North Africa area. Christianity doesn't really exist there anymore. And at that time, there were like 300 bishops in North Africa or something. So the point is like, we got to fight for, you know, liberty, fight for, for our families, for freedom, for faith and stuff. So, and I got to get these, I got to get entrepreneurs like you, you know, pumped so you can come out there and make things happen so we can start I'm ready, people. dog. I'm ready. Hey, guys, you heard it here first, man. 10 billion Rex. Love this dude. You guys, you know what it's about. Kingdom R.I. Podcast. We're out. Hey, real estate investors. I hope this show is giving you permission to go out into the world and crush it in the name of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our community and locking arms and joining forces with other like-minded investors like yourself, go to thekingdomrei.com to learn more about our mastermind and send an application. We'll see you next week.